You're listening to P.F.'s Tape Recorder. This is the biggest name in comedy, Kostaki Economopoulos. I'm P.F., this is my tape recorder, and welcome to another edition of the History of Synth Pop. We are up to episode 7. We've kind of been bouncing back and forth between the United States and the United Kingdom, uh, and all points in between uh, North America, you know, including the United States and Canada. We're also going to you know, look not just to the UK, but also to the rest of Europe. But mostly, the synth pop movement is coming from, as is most pop and rock music, is coming from either Great Britain or the United States and Canada at this point and time, and I guess even still to this day, although we are getting some some K-pop into our charts now and things like that, so we're getting some more, you know, I guess diverse representation in our charts around the world, which is good. So for episode 7, we're back in England. It is the uh, mid-80s, uh, early to mid-80s. We're kind of moving around a little bit just in terms of what's happening as far as the technology goes. Uh, we're going to start with our friends Depeche Mode. Uh, they have released an album uh, They called A Broken Frame. It was uh, traditional keyboards, I would say, at this point. But then they stumble upon a very exciting technology in 1982-83. It's a, called an emulator. It's a sampler, and what it allows you to do, I'm sure you're well familiar with this technology by now is you can record any sound into the keyboard and play it, uh, play the sound as a musical note. And they are so enamored of this idea that they decided to chuck what are called the presets on the keyboards that they're using and or uh, the old, old, old-fashioned keyboards where you had to like program the sound in and kind of remember what the, what the settings were. And they make an album that is uh, mostly sampled sounds and they will do this for their next couple of albums. Uh, the one song that comes off of the album Construction Time Again, their third album, is a song which becomes one of their signature songs, Everything Counts. It'll be used to close their shows. The, it'll be the encore, the very final song of the encore for through the late 80s, including the huge concert in 1988 in the Rose Bowl, which wraps up the 101 tour. But uh, I'm not sure what they sample for this song, but it is really cool. I remember driving around uh, uh, Bowling Green State University. I think the song came out originally in 82 or 83, so I was a, little, a couple of years late listening to it. I knew who these guys were, but again, uh, MTV, like OMD, MTV didn't really play many of their videos, weirdly, because MTV was desperate for videos in the early 80s. So I don't know why some groups, they just did not program, but... Depeche Mode was one of them. I really didn't hear Depeche Mode until I got to college properly. Driving around campus one day and uh, listening to the station I'm eventually going to work at, and I hear this.
So according to fair use rules, I'm only allowed to really play like 30 seconds of a song because we're having a critical discussion about it. But I'm with my friend Pat Francis at the Rock Solid Podcast. If iTunes can play you a 90-minute or 90-second sample, well, then so can I. And I, I know I really pushed it on that one. But I wanted to get the full effect of at least, you know, the, a good chunk of that song. And I had never heard anything like it. And I was completely enamored of Depeche Mode at that point. And uh, that really uh, changes music quite a bit. Sampling will be used, of course, not only by synth-pop groups, but hip-hop groups will quickly pick it up and start using it. And so, yeah, it's groundbreaking. Now, that album, I would say, of the early albums, is probably my least favorite overall. And uh, I read an interview with the band where they said even that they were concentrating probably more on the fact that they had found this new technology than perhaps on fleshing out the songs better. But it does produce probably their best song ever, I would say. Everything counts. Uh, we arrive with uh, in, back in Sheffield with Heaven 17. Their former bandmates, uh, well, some bandmates, Human League, of course, have had a huge smash hit album with their Heaven 17. Uh, not having as much luck, uh, their songs don't even get into the top 40 in the UK from their first album, sadly, because they're brilliant, as you've heard on earlier episodes. They released their second album called The Luxury Gap, and weirdly, okay, they have four songs come from this album. The two best songs are the, not the biggest hits, which is strange. Uh, their big hit will come in 1983, the song called Temptation, which isn't even very keyboardy, and is really not one of my favorite Heaven 17 songs, actually. I'm surprised it was such a big hit over there. It went to number three, I think. This is the first single from the album. It's known in the United States because it's their only top 40 hit. I think it squeaked in and got to, like, number 32 in 1983. A big dance club hit, probably why it propelled it up the singles chart, because it got a lot, a lot of airplay uh, just from people dancing to it in clubs. And I would say this is, I would say most people would agree, at least in America, this is definitely Heaven 17's best song, their signature song, and it's a track called Let Me Go. from Heaven 17, uh, very keyboard. They're kind of not as many traditional instruments. Once Dare becomes a hit for Human League, uh, Heaven 17 reckoned, well, we can put, you know, uh, acoustic instruments on the albums, even though they're going to be mostly electronic. And But but uh, Let Me Go doesn't really do that. It's, it's mostly electronic, and it is brilliant. Now, we discussed the Thompson Twins in uh, episode five. Uh, they decided to become an all-electronic outfit after uh, recording a song called In the Name of Love, and then they sacked everybody in the group except for the, the, the three people that would go on and become the Thompson Twins that you mostly know. 
and uh, they released an album called, well, in, the, in England it's called A Quick Step and a Sidekick. In the United States, and I believe Canada, it is just simply called Sidekicks, and it is completely electronic. Uh, so much so that they were using some acoustic instruments on it when they started recording it. Although I think they do use some acoustic drums and percussion on it, but other than that, uh, they're recording it in the Bahamas. They use a, a regular acoustic, you know, bass guitar on it, and Tom Bailey's mucking around in the studio one night, and he discovers, uh, a, a, and one of the keyboards, he plays like the, the, the clavinet patch, and he plays it really down low at the bottom of the keyboard, and it says, that sounds like a, a bass sound. And what's cool about it is that previous keyboard basses would get lost in the mix, as would actually an acoustic bass, if you put too much stuff on top of it, you know, keyboards and, and whatnot. But he realizes that this, using this keyboard bass, the, the clavinet, and playing it really low, really punches through and you can like dump all kinds of stuff on top of it and you'll never lose it so uh, they would do this quick step and a sidekick it's all electronic Tom Bailey says you'll never hear a guitar on uh, a Thompson album ever again that's a complete lie <laughs> the gap the follow-up album is still mostly electronic does use guitars and of course you know with future days after that when they made it try to become this uh, stadium rock act uh, regrettably, in some cases, uh, they, they they up the guitars in it. But anyway, this is uh, from the album A Quick Step and a Sidekick. This is Love on Your Side. on your side from the Thompson Twins teaches me a lot about music, by the way, in that there's very few things playing chords here. It's a lot of riffs on top of riffs suggesting the chord structure, and I'm just fascinated by this. I, to this day, one of my favorite albums, I like it better than The Gap, only because there's 10 songs on this album, there's only 9 on The Gap, and I'm not a big fan of the song Who Will Stop the Rain on The Gap. It's okay, but every song on A Quick Step and a Sidekick is a banger. Now to our friends Orchestra Maneuvers in the Dark. Uh, they too are having um, some issues. They're, in fact, they released an album in 1983 called Dazzle Ships, which becomes a fan favorite. In retrospect, it becomes a, a much admired album. But the problem is, is that the fans aren't really expecting it at the time, especially the casual fans. They want stuff that's you know been been charting, and they realize we can do this a kind of experimental album. But it, it gets a bad rap in that uh, Dazzle Ships, while it has a lot of I would call sound and noise experiments. If you back all those out, 
there's still like six songs on these actual songs on the album and they could have padded that out easily i'm sure with two other songs and they would have had a proper album and everybody could have quit bitching but anyway <laughs> dazzle ships does very poorly they release two singles and only get to number 50 uh, even though they're both brilliant including telegraph which is one of my favorite omd songs so they have to regroup they're almost broke and they decide is to buy what we discussed uh, in the previous episode. You remember Eben Ozen from America using the Fairlight CMI. Uh, they decide to buy one, and this is unheard of at the time because most Fairlight CMIs, they're very expensive, uh, computer musical instrument, what CMI stands for. They're very, very expensive. Only actual studios have them, but OMD realized we need to own one of these, so they pay 25,000 pounds for it, which it, it is an astronomical figure for the time. Even now, I guess it's a, a, an astronomical figure, and you figure in 1984 dollars to now, that's even more money. But they pay it, and they make an album called Junk Culture. They abandon England to make it. They go down to Montserrat, where uh, the police and David Bowie and other people have recorded. And they record an album called Junk Culture, and this is the biggest hit from that album, I believe. Although, well, Locomotion might have gotten higher in the British. Yes, it did. It just got the 20, Locomotion got the 5, but Anna McCluskey reckons this should have been a hit. This is Tesla Girls. talking loud and clear because that's the first song they write using the Fairlight CMI, but Tesla Girls, uh, I, I guess a much more upbeat tune and more indicative of kind of the variety of sounds they're getting at this point. And uh, a fine album, they, this is the point where they and a lot of other bands are going to move more towards using, you know, more modern keyboards, they're going to use more presets to the, almost the point where not, not so much with OMD, but with Tears for Fears and people that use a lot of keyboards, there's a sound, I believe it's from one of the Roland keyboards, that uh, you will know it, it kind of sounds like a, a really deep flute and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about if you hear it in a song you know uh, cu- coming up what I'm talking about it's uh but it, and it surprised me because you have this variety of sounds in the 80s and yet people kind of start using kind of the same sounds over and over again I guess because it's that people are used to it and these you know are more chart friendly songs and these people even though they're considered alternative and new wave they still want to have hits need to make money so they can make more records so we come to Bath, England, and a group called Naked Eyes. It's a duo of Pete Byrne and Rob Fisher, and they uh, decide to, they're all electronic for the most part, 
they, uh, I think they eventually are friendly with Peter Gabriel, who's also from Bath. I think, in fact, record in his studio, this first album, If Memory Serves. Their first single is not one of their own compositions. It is a kind of an obscure song in a way, considering how big the composer is. Uh, composers, it's written by uh, uh, Burt Bacharach and Hal David. Originally, it is a B-side for Dionne Warwick in the 1960s, although she goes on the Glen Campbell show and sings it. It is not released as a single. I forgot what it's the B-side to. But uh, other people cover it. No one has a hit with it, really. I don't think it ever even charts otherwise, but somehow Naked Eyes discover it. And boy, this is one of those songs, along with Take On Me, that I'm not upset became a hit. I love it. Uh, rooted it up the top 10, just like I did with Take On Me, which comes a couple years uh, later. But uh, what a tune, a great tune, well executed. Even Burt Bacharach says, boy, this has got to be, I think, my favorite version of this song, even uh, even though at first it's a little, you know, if you're Burt Bacharach, it's 1983 and his all electronic version of your, uh, one of your songs comes out, you're taken aback. But he really he grows to like it. And I, this is one of the songs I just never get sick of, even though you hear it on oldies radio all the time. Uh, this is one song I will not turn the station for. This is Naked Eyes, always something there to remind me. I guess they're called synthonic drums back then at that point. It may even be a drum machine. I don't think they use an actual drummer with a little drum pad. Oh, but it's just so good. What a great record and a great song. Uh, back to Sheffield, not to see Heaven 17 or Human League, but a couple knuckleheads called Cabaret Voltaire. They've been knocking about since the late 70s in Sheffield, and they're considered more experimental. Uh, they don't really have, like, song songs. They're not looking to be hit recording artists, chart toppers like Heaven 17 and Human League are. But they do get a minor hit, uh, in both in the U.S. on the alternative charts and in uh, the U.K., and uh, I think this probably goes into the top 40, I think, barely. I should look this up before I record this. But um, it's a song called Sensoria. It comes out in 1984. It is more known for its video, which the band ABC, also from Sheffield, uh, will rip off because they think it's just a cool video. And not rip it off well, by the way. I mean, it's fine, but the Cavalry Voltaire version is a lot better. But anyway, just to give you a sense of this is a, a more of an experimental group getting as close as they can to being a pop group for a few fleeting moments. This is Cabaret Voltaire and Sensoria. (laughs) 
Sensoria, what a neat tune, man. A good record, a lot of great hooks. They should have really pursued the pop aspect, because I think they really could have, you know, had some really, really big hits. Uh, that is a very, very nice tune. Sensoria from Cabaret Voltaire. We stay in Sheffield for our final tune of the show before we get to the song of the week. It is Human League. It is 1984. Dare was a big hit. The Fascination EP produces some big hits. Uh, Fascination, the song itself, Keep Feeling Fascination is actually the title of the song, goes to, like, number eight here, giving them another top ten hit. I believe it's a top ten hit in Britain. Mirror Man doesn't do quite as well. It's still top 20 in Britain, I believe, and it I think it scrapes into the top 40 here. And then they released an album called Hysteria, and Hysteria, weirdly, not only... Are they, is it not very keyboardy? The first single that is. Most of the album is still very keyboardy and still very human league. But they release this track. Yeah, the Lebanon, it uh, becomes a top 40 hit here, barely. I think it gets to 20-odd in this country, and I think it only gets to, like, 10 or 11 in the UK. Uh, people are taking a bit of back, uh, and it is a departure, at least the single is. Like, you, it's, an, it's an acoustic bass you heard, you heard up front. It is, a, it is definitely a guitar you heard in there, and there's just got that keyboards on the back there, so that's, it's a lot less keyboardy than their previous stuff, certainly. Uh, the only problem I find with people being upset about this is that this song is a banger. It is one of their best songs ever. I was, but I was on the Human League fan page the other day on Facebook, and someone posted it and said, oh, this was the beginning of the end and i don't think so kids and hysteria is really a good album it did not do very well uh, the other singles that produced didn't fare very well they were they were in the top 40 but it was nowhere near the massive uh, album that dare was but it's still a really good album there's a lot of good stuff on it so that is it for our mid 80s england tour we're going to go back to the united states in episode eight because in uh, the mid 80s in, in the united states What's happening is uh, finally inspired by all these British groups, more groups in America are becoming keyboard only. And through the mid to late 80s, we have a, a group of groups that are going to form and they all going to kind of get to know each other and kind of move in the same circles and tour with each other and kind of are aware of each other. Kind of unlike in England when it started in the late 70s and early 80s when everybody was kind of working independently, the American groups all quickly kind of know each other and again are kind of inspired by each other and so we'll discuss that in episode 8. But we have arrived at the song of the week now. Uh, this gal's been around since me. Let me bring up my iTunes so I can uh, uh, give you the proper name of the song here. So I do this right now. I don't know how her name is pronounced properly, but she is from... Oh, I forgot. I looked it up yesterday for you. 
I think she's Norwegian. She goes by the name Ora, not her real name, obviously. And she's had some hits since 2016, but this is the first I've heard of her. Uh, heard it on Radio 1, of course. Uh, the song is called Panic Room, and I looked it up. It's not even officially a single, but I think Radio 1 just started playing it. And it's a pretty cool tune. Uh, puts me in the mind of like an, an Ellie Goulding or, or someone like that. I think you're really going to enjoy this. And uh, again, fits really well with our uh, synth pop uh, retrospective here. So here now is our song of the week. It's Ora Panic Room, PS Tape Recorder. So long and thanks for listening. No signal 